Hi, please introduce yourself and tell me about what you do. My name is Antek. I'm the Climate Justice Coordinator for FEMNET. And I'm here at COP, COP28 uh, in Dubai. We are coming here as a representative of uh, women and young girls in Africa, looking at uh, climate justice space in the region and what it means for that constituency. We are looking at women, feminists, we are looking at uh, young girls, we are looking at indigenous women as well. So um, I'll give a, br a brief of how we've evolved uh, all through the, the, the UNFCCC processes or United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And it started way back when um, there, were, there was a little, I mean, not, not much was being talked about the issue of gender. Yeah. Yet in many cases, you find that uh, women or young girls are the most vulnerable when it comes to climate crisis. We are talking about women in Africa depend most on the natural ecosystems. They depend most on water, on forests. But when it comes to climate crisis, they're the most affected. We are looking at women being uh, caregivers, women uh, being responsible for fetching water, fetching firewood, fetching uh, food, and also taking care of people with disability, the old and the sick. Uh, and uh, when it comes to crisis, these are the people who are uh, affected in terms of sexual, uh, uh, sexual violence or any other gender-based violence. But let me come to what UNFCCC means to, to women and to gender and the young girls. One is, uh, like I said, we've evolved. Before, we didn't have even women who can negotiate. We didn't have representation of women to the COP. We didn't have technical people to really negotiate on, on our behalf. So we've seen that uh, change, although we are saying we are, we are growing. So uh, first, uh, we, we look at UNFCCC processes as first representation. How many women are represented in these processes? We're just talking about now 35% or less than that. Uh, I think at most we've had like 38% of women coming to COPS uh, to represent uh, women interests. But out of even the 38%, you find that most of them are heads of delegation representing governments, but not specifically representing um, the, the gender agenda or issues of women and girls' rights. But let me come to this COP now. I think um, as FEMNET, we've been able to work in different partners, different organizations, and we are involved in engaging through uh, a constituency called the Women and Gender Constituency, which is which brings together uh, feminist women organization, women rights organization within the globe to just um, help us. First is just providing that safe space. Second is um, technical support during the such processes and also ensuring that we are updated on the, on the key issues during COP. So let me go specifically on uh, issues if we, we really feel that uh, our issues have been represented. Yeah. One is uh, in the past, issues of gender and, and women rights has been like uh, any other business or just a preamble, but not going to the details. So our push here was first to ensure that issues of vulnerabilities are discussed, uh, issues of uh, finances are discussed, issues of uh, adaptation, mitigation, just transition. And I would give example, uh, basically, let's, let's talk about the financing. We've seen commitments made uh, 
either to the to their loss and damage fund. We've seen commitments made to the Green Climate Fund, to the um, I mean least developed countries fund. But what you are saying as a feminist or a representative of the gender and young women is how much is going to a women organization? How much of this money is going to be invested in the women-led organization, especially with with the in sub-Saharan Africa, but um, uh, this has been a struggle because the, we have data, and we have less than five percent of money coming down going to to women. And what we are saying here is, we need money to go even to the pockets of the women. We need money to go to the to the loss and damage fund, but specifically to women. So that is our push in this pop. And the other thing we are talking about is uh, data. I think with because you cannot make decisions when you don't have I, data. I, yeah. And uh, uh, I know that has been evolving as well. We've seen a lot of initiatives or innovations around data. We know there's already an app called uh, Climate and Gender App, where now it tracks by UNFCCC, it's just an initiative of uh, a different organization. Okay. So it tracks It how was launched here at the COP. It's been there. I think oh. it's just an evolving. Eh? Okay. So it tracks first how many representation of women to COPs. It tracks also issues of where finances go. It's just an app basically on issues of gender. So that's one of the, of the innovation. And we are looking at such initiatives in that those those are innovations that will help us make decisions, looking at vulnerabilities for different countries, uh, looking at how, how many policies do we have in terms of gender, how, how is it implemented. But let me come specifically home to Kenya and probably to the East African region. The other day we had uh, droughts where we had millions. It, it was actually the worst drought in the past 40 years. And in this drought, we had many women uh, being affected. We had pregnant mothers also going through uh, that drought. We had children uh, struggling during that uh, disaster. And now we have floods. So this is one of the regions that is mostly affected by by climate change. I'm glad like a country like Kenya already has uh, a Climate Change Act, which clearly defines the structures, the funding mechanism, the monitoring, the reporting framework. But what it means for women is how are we looking at the representation of women in the climate change handsel? Yeah. How are we looking at um, a representation of women even at the counties where we now have over 42 county governments with Climate Change Act? Are women represented in the, uh, in the steering committee at the county? Are women represented in the planning committee still at the county? But we have the word committee. Remember in Kenya we have almost 1,500 words, and in this word committee, how many of those are women? And how are the decisions being made? Are they in a position to make the decision? So we are not just looking at representation in terms of numbers, mm -hmm. but are they going, how are they going to make the, de the decisions? What's the situation like? As we speak, I know um, most of the counties have set up those word committees, and what they were struggling with is uh, capacity just for them to understand what is really climate change you know it's at that level so first thing is training them second them is also financing because now the same committees are supposed to come up with a with a plan of actions that they want to be that it's it's actually more a locally led uh, initiative where decisions come from the ground 
so the community is able to make decisions on their priority areas. Given that now most of the counties have what we call vulnerability assessment plans, they're able to say in the water sector, this is what we, we don't have. In the forest sector, these are our issues. In the land sector, this is our issues. On, on agriculture, you get yeah. just to get the situation on the ground. Yeah. Then the, from there, they've been able to develop what you call uh, climate change action plans at the county. So the plans are now informing budgeting. And I'm glad that most of the counties have allocated at least 2% of their budgets, climate change. Okay. And how much of this goes to women activities? That is a thing now. Yeah. And that's why we come in as Femnet and other uh, women organization to say, out of the 2%, and, and I know most of the counties are given almost 10 billion, yeah. 8 to 10 to 12 billion, depending on the county. It, out of that 2%, which most comes to around 140 million annually, 180 there, yeah. how much is it going to women investment? And that would be really key. On those projects that have been identified, how many projects have been identified by women and how many women are investing in those projects? You get what I mean? Yeah. So that will be our area of interest. In terms of these vulnerabilities, I remember I told you about the, the vulnerability assessment. How many women are being affected by uh, the vulnerabilities due to climate and disasters. So those are the data we'll be tracking as Femnet. That is what we'll be doing. And then now we are looking at not just the climate change plans, but remember counties have what you're calling the CIDP, the County Integrated Development uh, uh, Plans, which then the climate change plans would, would feed onto that, which, which are five-year plans. Eh? Does it talk about gender? Has it identified gender-segregated data? and their vulnerabilities in terms of climate change. Because what are the, the most of the CIDPs I've seen, they just give a, a general uh, demographic assessment, but there's none or very few have given gender segregated that. Those are things we are looking for. If you come to gender plans, and I know we've not finalized on the gender policy for Kenya, those are areas we are looking for. So even when you're developing our gender policy at the national level and the county level, I mean, have they factored in climate crisis as an issue or as a, or as a crisis? So we'll be keen in tracking those within the national plans, the county plans, uh, the financing mechanism, in terms of budgeting, and lastly, to representation and decision-making, and, and of course, in terms of data. So in terms of what is happening at COP, we know that this year we are reviewing the global stock tech. Yeah. Is there anything on gender in the GST yeah. draft that you have seen so far? Uh, that's a good question, because GST, this is the first time yeah. it's been done in, the, in, in five years. Eh? So uh, for us, what we've realized is that even the framework alone is not, has not been uh, conceptualized. It's not, it's not finalized. But we've, we've identified some three areas in terms of what they've, they've spoken about women issues, looking at vulnerabilities, participation, and there are at least key areas. But what you're saying is you need to go to the details of, of that, not just the assessment, but the real actions of the ground. What has been done in terms of stop taking on financing women issues, representation, like I said, and the real actions on the ground. So as a country, how are we doing generally in terms of putting the women issues in the climate crisis? Um, uh, interesting because we, we are still struggling even with the two-third two -third gender, gender role, even at the national level. So even I think that is where we should start. 
that's where we should start that th there should be political goodwill to to identify and, and and put gender issues in terms of policy because i mean in any governing framework first you need the policy you need the plans then you budget so and it starts with a political goodwill so if there's no political goodwill at the national level so even trickling down to the county level is really is really hard but I know there are many organizations who are, including Feminet, who've now been pushing for, for this. So once we have the uh, two-third gender rule, we have the policy in place. That can trickle down to even addressing climate issues related to gender. So what's that one thing that women attending the climate conference want to take home from this call? Uh, for us, we're looking at uh, not just representation, but you need that money to do actions on the ground. I mean, we've talked, we've had this negotiation. We are not, we know women are already working on that. We have women doing uh, green initiatives already on the ground. Women are planting trees. Women are doing uh, water harvesting. Women are, I mean, are involved in many uh, green initiatives uh, issues but they don't have this money. We are still using our national budget to still do climate-related action, which ideally should be funded 